0: Extraordinary. Leader. Innovative. Integrity. Honest. Courageous. curious Thoughtful. Brave. Unafraid.
1: There is a place where technology and art meet, where work and play are one and the same. When the threads of curiosity are pulled in this place, the spark of innovation ripples across industries. Those who make this place their home are giants, titans who pursue creative passion while leaving their mark.
0: Creative. Flexible. Brilliant. Clever. Confident.
1: They are courageous thought leaders set on changing the practice of dentistry and their corner of the world. More than the sum of their parts, we deconstruct the traits that bind these uncommon innovators. Humble. Daring. Disciplined. Playful. Principled. Spontaneous, spontaneous. To discover what makes them contrary to ordinary, where we explore the extraordinary. Hi there, I'm Dr. Kim Cooch, host and founder at Carry Free. I'm fascinated by what makes the paradigm shifters, world shakers, and art makers tick. Let's embark on a journey. Extraordinary is a place where ordinary people choose to exist. Together we will trek the peaks of possibility, illuminate the depths of resilience, and navigate the boundless landscape of innovation to discover how some of the most innovative dentists and thought leaders unlocked their potential and became extraordinary. On this season of Contrary to Ordinary, we explore the motivation, lives, and the character of innovators who see limitless potential around them. The people behind some of the largest paradigm shifts in the practice of dentistry. I always say you can't have a healthy body if you don't have a healthy mouth. After all, it is the gateway into the body. There's a huge movement right now to better understand what's called the oral systemic health connection. It's the study of the relationship between oral health and overall health. An example is how gum disease is shown to increase the risk of heart disease. Dr. Susan Maples is a leader in the area of total health with over 30 years of experience in dentistry. As a child, Susan was exposed to large quantities of secondhand smoke and suffered from severe allergies. Through mentorship and guidance from a few key medical professionals early on in her journey, Susan began a path to improve total health. Today, Susan is giving back by mentoring children to have better total health throughout their lives. At Susan's practice, her hands-on learning lab, she emphasizes the importance of optimal oral health and nutrition. She also encourages children to consider a career like hers in dentistry. The right education and the right experience early on can entirely change the way we see the world and how we approach the rest of our lives. Susan created the hands-on learning lab with that end in mind.
0: The idea for us is to have kids who graduate high school with as few teeth filled as possible and skills, beliefs, and behaviors for a lifetime of health. And it used to be just oral health. Now it's total health. So when they go off in the world, whether they leave our practice to go to college or whether they leave our practice to go to work or they move, we want the kids who as a result of being in our practice for their years have all the tools they need in their tool chest to go off and leave a long, healthy life without running into tooth decay, metabolic disease, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, depression, addiction, you name it,
1: right? Right. Give them the tools so they can stay healthy, be healthy and stay healthy. Yes. So it started
0: with tooth decay. What I realized is that we learned in dental school way back that polishing teeth wasn't efficacious. We selective polishing has been around for a long time. We should only be polishing for stain and stain alone. And then, if you've watched the literature, polishing healthy biofilm off teeth and removing the fluoride-rich layer of enamel that that we've built up with topical fluoride isn't helpful. And the fluoride absorption doesn't require uh, the biofilm be denuded. So we started maybe before 2000, maybe 1998. We started. Staining the plaque on kids' teeth and in a with two-tone, pink and uh-huh. purple, old and new black. We started staining it and allowing them to choose whatever they wanted to clean their teeth with with a huge array of choices, just like you were standing in the grocery store or the super or the Bright Aid and you're picking out what you want to buy, right? Yep. And then in a mentored approach to self-care, we watched that child in a lighted magnified mirror sitting up, not lying back in a chair. Struggle to remove every last bit of plaque. And how are you going to do that without us intervening? And then helping them by helping guide their hand, helping them see it, helping them figure out how to do it, do a self-prophy every day. So instead of us doing it one day every six months, they're doing it every day. Right. It makes a difference. Then we took it one step further. We started incorporating science experiences into each and every visit for each and every child. So we have like, I think, 80 science experiences that they can accomplish during their
1: Run that by me again, how many? 80. 80, Mm -hmm. 80. So you have 80 experiments in this learning lab, in your office, that children can go do these experiments and they learn about health by doing that.
0: We build a curriculum, beat a sort of a, a dossier of experiences for kids over their lifetime. And then by the time they're in high school, they they can put on a white coat and follow follow me around and become right. part of <laughs> the scene. Most of these, a lot of these kids have not had a lot of dentistry, so they have not right. seen it. 48 of the kids we've mentored now are dentists.
1: 48? Yeah. So 48 kids that have come through your learning lab process in your practice have become dentists. You as a as a mentor, right to these young people to make that difference in like 48 lives. Well,
0: and it's my team because, you know, right. the learning lab is the health
1: relationship coordinator,
0: the hygienist, we all we all use it. Right. So it's pretty neat. By the time they graduate high school, they've already learned how to do caries detection with a Diagnodent and place a sealant on an extracted tooth and screw an implant in a model. But they've also done all kinds of cool things, looked under microscopes and looked at bacteria and looked at uh, perio models and uh, everything from nutrition and sugar consumption and acid-based chemistry and you know it's pretty crazy.
1: Susan is positively impacting the lives of hundreds of children through the work she's doing with her hands-on learning lab. The impact of others on our lives, especially early on, can become drivers for change. Sometimes, early childhood experiences can be negative, but lead us on a path to overcoming adversity that ultimately makes us stronger and more resilient.
0: My brother and I were uh, 13 months apart. My brother was a healthy infant, but my mom expressed her anxiety to her physician, who told her it would uh, decrease her anxiety if she increased her smoking. She Doubled her smoking from one pack a day to two packs a day while she carried me, which resulted in my early delivery with premature lungs, and I spent three months in an oxygen tent. I don't know how much of that time I went home, but when I went home, of course, we were living in smoke-filled little tiny house. and right and secondhand smoke wasn't even a thing.
1: Right, oh no.
0: So uh, my lips would turn blue, my nail beds would turn blue, they'd just get me back in the hospital. But then ultimately I was able to stay home, but I developed pretty quickly what we refer to now as the atopic march. Eczema, allergies, asthmatic bronchitis, airway issues. I had 52 allergies. We lived in the country and I was allergic to everything, grass, trees, weeds, mold, you know, all kinds of different things. Right, everything,
1: dust, Right.
0: Now, today, one in 20 kids has allergies, which is a whole other conundrum. It's lifestyle-related. But in those days, that I was a freak, right? I right. had allergy shots twice a week. I couldn't participate. They, they didn't really want me playing outside much. So I did indoor creative stuff. Right. I was relatively sedentary and overweight by yesteryear standards. Right. Developed what they called pre-diabetes. I was hospitalized seven times for pneumonia under the age of 12, and I was just a very, very sick child. Right. Immunocompromised from tons of antibiotics, as you can imagine, and allergy shots. My mom finished up her graduate degree and ended up taking a position with the College of Osteopathic Medicine as a psychologist. And we moved, and my pediatrician at the time said, she cannot be with a pediatrician. She needs an internist. So my mom, through worming through the whole system, found a, a physician who was completing her, I guess, her residency and agreed to take me on and schedule the two-hour visit. And It was the beginning of the rest of my life, so
1: right. pretty cool. You know, I think, and that mentor, that person mentored you and really changed Unbelievable. your life. yeah.
0: She yeah. listened to me. Right. Sick kids are very tough kids. They don't feel sorry for themselves. It takes a lot for me to cry even today, right? right. I'm pretty tough internally because you, you have an end of one, right? You are the only right. one you know. So right. it is your life. And yeah. um, she started asking me to talk about, it wasn't until I started talking about the social aspects. First of all, having to say goodbye to my pets and having to uh, not spend the night at my girlfriend's house because they had pets and feather pillows. And then it was like, I don't want to stand next to people because people think I stink because of my... Uh, I had to sleep with medicine in my vaporizer all night and the smoke in my house. I have a big personality, and I was avoiding people.
1: Right. I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, and she was like, oh, this is not going to work out for you. (laughs) And so she basically said, you know, what would you be willing to do if I could help you get rid of all your medications and you know, move on in life and be healthy and happy without it? I was like, I don't think you could do that. She said, I can't do that. I'm asking you... What would you be willing to do? And you know, honestly, unless she had really broken me down to the point of tears and listening to myself, oftentimes, as Rachel Remen would say, you know, we're hearing ourselves for the first time when we're able to tell our story, right? Right. And it doesn't sound—it's like wow, you've got this sort of—it's of, almost
1: like third-person talking. Yeah. Kind of thing. You're yeah. Like yeah, wow, yeah. listen to me. Right.
0: You know, I don't complain And she's asking me to talk about the aspects of my life that are that are defunct. And and there are plenty.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. So those challenges then, I mean, you had this this huge challenge as a a kid, as an adolescent, and probably learning how to work through those challenges has kind of helped you with the challenges that you face now, would you say? sure.
0: One thing that this particular physician didn't do is say, here's what you need, and I'll see you in six months, which is what we often do, right?
1: Right. Our six-month
0: recare is set up for, who knows what, a Pepsodent commercial in the 1940s or something. There's no evidence that that's good or bad. (laughs) So she basically continued to see me, to mentor me through it, which makes me believe that any adult in our life who cares about us enough could be a brave parent for us, a surrogate parent. She basically walked me back, empowered me to take the steps I needed to do to change my lifestyle to reflect health. And in you know a fairly short handful of years, I became one of the healthiest people I know and have maintained that health through significant lifestyle change, which is how I know that kids are capable of being in the driver's seat.
1: Along with the physician who helped Susan to work through her health challenges, there was another medical professional who had a profound influence on her later vocation. She had an orthodontist who had polio and took her under his wing. He was also an ice boater. And once Susan regained her health, she pursued this sport.
0: I grew up a competitive ice boater. Wait
1: a minute. Did you say ice boater? Yeah. It's a boat on ice. Ice skates. But so ice boating, I don't even know what that is. It's a very lightweight wooden boat. Okay. With a sail. Okay.
0: And it's on three
1: like rudders. S- like like skate? Yes, like very sharp. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, okay, got it. Oh, I've seen that. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But for a second there, I was like, yeah, an ice boat? Uh, did I hear? I mean, I was like, I, wait I a minute. I'm tapping it. my headphones going. Did, did I hear that correctly? Because I'm not even sure what that is. Okay. So you're from Michigan. Yep. You grew up with a lot of ice and your orthodontist was an ice boater.
0: At nine years old, I decided I wanted to be a dentist. I was in an orthodontic office and uh Thought it was pretty cool. My orthodontist was an ice boater with us. He suffered from polio. I liked him a lot. He sort of took me under his wing. And I sort of thought it was cool that he worked with kids and that he was working with his hands, which I love to do. My parents had been divorced. My mom had to go back to work to figure out what she was going to do. But I wanted a career that was mine. I declared I wanted to do this either dentistry or orthodontics at nine years old. No one in my family had anything to do with any of this. And my parents told me right off the bat they thought it was a very poor idea. All my life I heard, my hands were always cold. My stomach makes a lot of noise when I'm hungry. I say, oops, after everything I do wrong. This surely wouldn't work out for you. And what they really started to tell me later in high school was they just thought I was far too creative for dentistry. Dentistry, to them, looked like Boy Scout, Girl Scout land, following rules.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: My dad was an entrepreneur businessman, built this factory for $29,000 when I was a kid, and you know, it was an aluminum manufacturer. My mom was a psychologist. Neither of them could figure out why I would choose dentistry. Right. And it turned out that dentistry, I have to say, I bought a practice at 25 years old. Okay. My dad said, look, you're too creative to blueprint someone else. That would probably really not be a good move for you. And so I bought a practice and for $77,000 is all. And you can't even do a room for that, right? Right. And I asked the guy to leave before I started. And I kept two of his team members. And uh-huh. I just tried to figure it out. And that was a blessing. But it, after about seven years, I got a little bit bored. And I started to think, what would stop me from doing this the way I think it should be done? If something's not working... Even before we had what we call evidence-based practice, the things we were doing seemed to me to be meaningless.
1: Right. They didn't work.
0: They didn't work. Right. And I couldn't figure out why I would want to keep doing something and charge them for it, which seemed ethically unsound. Right. To charge them for things that I knew weren't working. So, yeah, break the mold. Do what's meant to be done.
1: You said you don't ever see yourself retiring, because you're still learning. You're always learning. Do you see yourself as a as a lifelong student? Is that one oh, of totally, your values?
0: Totally. And sometimes I think I'm a slow learner because I I get lost in my thoughts. I go and like I'm probably would have been labeled ADHD if there was such a thing. I squirrel out. I get an inspirational idea. I always have my computer in front of me. I miss what the person's saying for the next 10 minutes because I'm off developing, you know, it's it's a little weird. But you
1: follow through. Oh yes. I've heard this so many times. Oh, I'd like to I'm gonna write a book. And I've written a few books, I know what that takes, right? And but I hear that, oh, I want to write a book, I'm gonna write a book, and they never do. And then the people that, you know, I'm you know coming on the podcast with me here that are contrary to ordinary actually write a book, right? Like they said they say something that they're gonna do. And then they actually go do it, right? And I think that's a trait that is common with extraordinary individuals that I see.
0: Well, it also helps to have an amazing team. There's this sort of rumor about dentistry that you can go to a conference and come home and be all excited, and your team says, settle down, he'll be over it, or she'll be over it in three days. My team absolutely knows that my wild-ass ideas are going to be coming to fruition, And they're like, here
1: we go. Right.
0: (laughs) We're on another magic carpet ride.
1: There's a prevailing assumption that people who achieve great things are competitive by nature. Susan's collaborative spirit and focus on building a great team dispels this notion. She's someone who is motivated to leave the world a better place than before she came into it. And her goal of improving total health is a huge part of that mission. So what drives Susan Maples?
0: I think that I'm driven by influence. I want to make a difference. I want to leave a legacy. I think the older that we get, the more important that becomes to me. I want my life to have stood for something, to see the world become better as a result of my contributions, knowing that I've made a difference. Uh-huh. I was at an event the other day, we had 90 people in the audience, 120, but 90 of them who are hearing all of the oral systemic stuff for the first time. Wow. And after I was finished speaking, I only spoke for two hours on two different subjects, metabolic right. disease, diabetes detection in the dental office. And then I spoke on uh, pediatric microbiome deficiency and how it results in airway deficiency. And I those are two very random, specific, I mean, I could speak for seven days as, you know, right. straight without stopping and sleeping, right? right? But I turned my back afterwards, and I turned around, and there were 37 people around me clamoring for me to, you know, saying, oh, my gosh, my life is going to change. You've just complicated my life. Oh, my gosh, where do I go? Where do I start? What do I? That drives me, because then I think for those individuals, it's going to change their lives in terms of the number of people they touch. Right. So it's that ripple effect,
1: right? right? Exactly. You touch that life and they touch maybe a thousand or twelve hundred people. Right. Right in their in their practice.
0: So yeah. I wanna get better and better at being able to deliver a message that's easy to hear, fun to listen to, right, makes a difference, things they you know, lots more storytelling, things that they don't forget. And uh, I don't think that's the same as competitive, is it?
1: You know, it's interesting. I had this conversation with John Coyce, and John pointed out that he didn't want to be a regurgitator of information. Like he wanted to change the profession in a positive way, to leave the profession better, maybe than when you when you started.
0: And my frustration, which is very real, I live with demons. But my frustration is that I chose an area to influence that has been, I don't want to say impossible to influence, but I'm just one person. So I chose health in a time when, you know, I, just like you, I've, I'm creative and bright enough to do a number of different things, and I chose dentistry, and I could have done anything, and I did this. And so watching the decline of our population's health so dramatically, more dramatically than any segment of the human existence, the decline from lifestyle-related illness has been horrifying to me. And yeah, I'm I'm like a little like BBs against an iceberg
1: here. Right. Well, one of the biggest challenges I see, you know, for our profession is tooth decay. Like we haven't gotten, we haven't made any improvement in that at all. Are you kidding? It's getting worse. It's, a, it's, it's the getting, number one disease on the planet. It's getting worse rather than better. And sugar plays a huge role in that. And Americans are off the charts in how much sugar we eat. And I'm like, I, me as, a, as an individual, like, I don't know how I could ever change that.
0: Right? Uh, it's, it's devastating as toothache, and it it's the canary in the coal mine.
1: It's like once it gets past the teeth, I mean, that's a whole different bailiwick, right? So as you look at the change you are trying to make, I mean, it's it's monumental, really. I mean, when we stop, because changing lifestyle, changing habits for people um, in our society, I mean, that's a huge a huge challenge, Susan.
0: It's funny, when I named the second book, Brave Parent Raising Healthy, Happy Kids, Against All Odds in Today's World.
1: Right. I've read your book, by the way, and it's fabulous.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. My sample readers who were in the demographic of the you know genre of the book, right. parents, were like, I don't know if you should put Against All Odds, because it's a little intimidating. And I go, well, it is against all odds, because first of all, teeth shouldn't... T- I mean, show me a child... That isn't sick right now. I can't. I mean, and unfortunately, every sick adult was a sick child we saw in the pipeline coming on up. Right. And we saw them and we touched their lives at least every six months. Right. And for us to sit back and wait until they have these huge expressions of disease that are, you know, holding their life back is unconscionable to me. Right. We have to go back to root cause, and we have to look at how it impacts children before they're sick, before their habits are even established. We did a huge disservice by taking the mouth out of the body. Well, in the late 1700s, when we separated the, the body into systems, yep. we gave all the physicians their own specialties in dentistry, got teeth, but it's the one area, oral health, that they don't talk about in medical school at all.
1: So that's just amazing, isn't it?
0: Yes, so it's a matter of trying to put the mouth back in the body and see it as an integral part of the digestive system, the airway, oh, yeah, the you know, the masticatory system, the you know, head and neck function, you
1: know, all of that. I mean, and eating, chewing, speaking, socialization, all I mean, that. you know, it plays such an important role all the way through that, you know, and yeah, and I. I just look back to my own dental school experience, you know, like 40-some years ago, <laughs> and it was all about the teeth, right? And, I, you know, thankfully, we are, we are making progress getting away from that so that, you know, it's a big world here, um, and it's hard to keep up with. One of the,
0: I don't know, gifts I have, I suppose, is surrounding myself with incredible people. I've chosen amazing team members around values. That has allowed me to create a vision that actually is, comes to fruition. Right. So it's not just, boy, I could see this, I could imagine this. boy, if we only could, we're doing it every day. Right? I think our practice probably does more of all aspects of total health. Now, I'm going to tell you there maybe there certainly are some people doing sleep better or doing you know various aspects and focused on one thing, right, doing it better. But I don't know that anybody is doing birth to 100 years old in all aspects of metabolic health, nutrient deficiencies, food sensitivities, diet coaching, weaving a perio bundle in that that allows us to look at the root cause of people's host immune response deficiencies and right. work. Uh, that more than half of our patients have are referred to us by the medical profession. We've really bridged the gap in our community. In fact, this year... I accepted an award as, strange for a 37-year-old practice, but mm-hmm. I accepted an award in my community for Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Influence and Impact. And and, and that was a really big deal in, in the capital city. Congrats. With and I,
1: and I, let me say I'm not surprised.
0: <laughs> I was surprised and, and honored by our community recognizing oh, yeah. what we've done.
1: Traditional medicine treats the population at large. Success is typically not measured at the level of the individual. Learning rules and systems and how to repeat them well is important. But a one-size-fits-all approach is difficult for curious minds like Susan's. So Susan, you are a disruptor, right? Oh, it's my biggest gift. So like when you confront with a challenge now or there's a roadblock, do you think this is not a problem? I'm going to blow right through this or, you know, rather than have it stop you.
0: I don't mind setbacks. I always learn from them. Uh Sort of like if you're playing tennis or pickleball, like every time you you touch the ball, you get better, whether it's a good shot or a bad shot, right? Right. So I don't mind setbacks. I think what holds a lot of people back in our culture is they're worried about money, and I've uh-huh. never worried about that.
1: You've never thought about
0: no. I don't worry about money. And I, everybody has a different money orientation. I've right. been fortunate to accumulate some wealth doing what I do. Right. You know, I'm lucky that my brother's my financial planner, and he keeps me poor and makes me wealthy. I guess that's how I'd say you it. Did right. a good job. <laughs> yeah, but that's not really it either, right? You right. have to be accountable when you're going to start a business. I have six businesses. They're not all lucrative, but You have to think of them in terms of, what am I trying to achieve with this? I'm trying to make an impact on the world and make a difference. The measure of success is not how financially solvent it is. Right. It's, what am I trying to accomplish, and how will I know when I've reached that? That's where I sort of say, gosh, this isn't taking off the way I want it to. The whole movement isn't taking off.
1: You've met people in your life that you believe are extraordinary, Right and they've maybe had an influence in your life and what have you, what kind of traits do you see in them? What kind of traits would you say extraordinary people kind of exhibit? Anything in common that they kind of had?
0: Fearless.
1: They're fearless.
0: Yes, willing to chart their own course without fear that they're going to fit in, that they're not going to make it. So fearless would be one of them. Courage, for sure. Right. Innovative.
1: Like thinking outside the box, kind yeah, of. for sure. Like well, or visionary. You're what, so you're
0: the first person that comes to mind for me because I look at your eclectic talents. You know, your oil painting, and not only writing evidence based books, but writing novels and playing in a band and running a company, and you're like nodding your head and a good restorative dentist. But but that's I look at you and I think if you think something up, so COVID comes along, right, and you're like oh my gosh, we need better air quality. We need it fast and we need to produce it. And I'll just go ahead and do that. And then you just launch a company and all of a sudden inside of weeks we're getting these amazing pieces of equipment. And then, you know, COVID sort of fizzles out and not as many people are buying it. And you're like, I'll just shut that company down. Like, who does that?
1: (laughs) Nobody that's normal.
0: I know, right? (laughs) But that's fearlessness and it's like, Out of need, and I could make an impact, and maybe it would be financially lucrative, and maybe not, but it's certainly an unmet need. And I didn't
1: care. It is a niche. Right. A lot of energy. A lot of energy.
0: It's the one thing people say about you and me, right? How do you get it done? Where do you come up with the... How do you... you Like, I don't know.
1: Like, it's funny. I I, I have this running thing with John Coyce, who's a colleague, and and become a friend over the years. And... I mean, I look at his schedule and I'm like, and I call John and I'm like, John, you yeah, I'm really worried about you. Like, I, I'm looking at what you're doing and I'm thinking like, how in the world do you do all that, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm worried about you. And he'll say, you know, Kim, I was looking at your schedule and I don't know how you managed to do all that and, and I'm kind of worried about you. And I'll go, okay, I'll just shut up now. <laughs> right, okay, point well made, Never mind. I'll just, you know, let's forget we had this conversation. But I think that's a trait that I identify in extraordinary people too, that they're involved in a lot of things and they are able to get a lot of things done because they focus energy on certain things that that they are able to accomplish and follow through, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I made a comment to another extraordinary individual. We were having lunch and he's an amazing individual and the things that he's done, and he's involved in, and charity work, and it the list just goes on and on, his interests and hobbies, and he's so well accomplished and an amazing individual. I've known him for over 50 years. And I said, you know, you're not normal. You know that's not normal, right? And he looked at me with, like, the hurt puppy eyes, yeah. right? And he was real quiet, and I thought, uh-oh, well, I mean, I didn't mean to hurt his feelings. And, but then he looked at me and he said, you know, but, but it's normal for me. And I think the lot a lot of people, extraordinary individuals that I interview and that I talk to, see themselves as normal. The world may see you as a disruptor, but you in your own mind and your own life, well, you're just a normal person. You just are following you're curious maybe and following these interests and pursuits. Does that does that
0: I think that resonates. I I really focus a lot on non-judgmental kind. Lots. I try to see the the best of me sees the best in everyone. Uh-huh. And I really have made plenty of mistakes in my life. So every time I'm pointing a finger, I feel like I'm pointing three right back at me. So I really try very hard. And I'm not just talking about controlling the judgment on the outside. That's not that hard, bite your tongue, right? It's right. controlling the judgments that we have on the inside about the right. person in front of us. Right. I try to go like, what's that about? Right. And so that part connects me to, with people people like me. They find me a caring and kind person and uh-huh. I have a good sense of humor. But my ideas are often met with people going, "Huh?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, when you you know when you first hear something new that's way out, that's disruptive and way out of left field, you know, a lot of us for our first time our first response is like, "What? What? Did I hear that? What was that about?" And I think that Extraordinary people take that in stride and go, yep. Setting out to change the world is no small task. While the work can feel like it's never done, stepping back and taking time to refresh is essential. In the best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey drives home the importance of renewal.
0: So I love... All outdoor stuff. I right. like, next week I'll be in Telluride skiing all week. I love, I love so snow skiing, ski, mountain biking, all mountain of it. Biking, yep, yep, yep. Just biking, water rafting. From, mm, kayaking.
1: Kayaking. Water
0: skiing. I love cooking. I love dancing. I love, there's so many things I love to do. And of course, you only have so much time. So I look at my life every year, at least, and I say to myself, what is it that isn't serving me well now uh-huh. that I would want to do less of and what is it that I want to invite more of? Because if if you continue to say yes to new opportunities, you need to let go of some right, others or you, you end up without self-care.
1: Right.
0: We need to take care of the vessel and you need good sleep. And that's one of the things I was just interviewing Hunter, my son, on on my own podcast. And you know, he was, I learned just as much from him as Rob Lustig and Kevin Boyd and you. You know he's amazing. But I will say he asked me, he said, Mom, I do worry a little bit about your sleep because you're up early exercising, and I know how late you stay up, and I know you try to. So that's always been an issue is that I uh-huh. really want to have really good energy and resources and stay healthy. I want to live like I am now and have one bad day. I don't want to feel old ever. I don't like right. old person
1: energy for me. Right. Yep. No. I, yeah. I, I totally get that. So those traits that we just talked about, so those show up. I mean, you've talked about it. So that's how they show up in your own life. You're constantly pruning, pruning mm-hmm. you know? So that's maybe another common trait. I think, I think extraordinary people accomplish a lot of things because they, they, are, they manage their time well, right? Would you agree sure. with that? For sure. And so they prune out the things that aren't working. They bring in new things because they're, they're continually wanting to be students of life, always learning something new, right? And not afraid to try something new.
0: I also think anxiety creeps in for people, and they spend a lot of time and energy around the things they're anxious about rather than, you know, and I'll give you a good example. I'm in nine cities in six weeks right now, and I, I packed for this trip. I'm going for a week and a half because I'm in here and then going on to right. the ski meeting in Telluride, and, and I packed last night after my pickleball tournament and, right. you know, coming home and making a, a nice meal for myself, and then it's, you know, I have to get up early, and so... It just don't put a lot of anxiety over, like, if I don't bring the right things, I'm still going to be okay. Right. Like, I don't put a lot of anxiety over things that matter less.
1: Right. That aren't important.
0: Right. I try to make the things that matter the most take a higher level of importance than what uh-huh. matters less. Yeah. So that allows you to do some things. Most people, the night before traveling for a trip like this, wouldn't schedule anything.
1: Oh, they're stressed out about, what do I take? What am I packing? What am I doing?
0: And I was like, I'm going to trust, I'm going to go through my closet, trust that the things I have in there are just going to be right. And if they're not, they'll be fine. Yeah.
1: And if I need something I didn't bring, Um, they sell it, they sell it, (laughs) right? Yeah. Dr. Susan Maples is a lifelong learner. Her career path demonstrates the importance of always innovating and bringing new ideas to the field of dentistry and beyond. We should never give up on being students, and we can find teachers all around us, sometimes in the most unexpected places. There's always room for acquiring new skills or challenging long-held beliefs. Thank you so much to Dr. Susan Maples and her Hands-On Learning Lab for helping grow our community of extraordinary minds. And thank you for coming on this journey with me today. Around here, we aim to inspire and create connections We can't do it without you. If this conversation moved you, made you smile, or scratched that little itch of curiosity today, please share it with the extraordinary people in your life. And if you do one thing today, let it be extraordinary.